page 50 today, page 5-0. And let me cover just a couple of things that are coming up that are listed on the back. So if you can hold your finger on page 50 and look at the back cover, you'll notice November 8th, one week from today, is our next baptism. Next Sunday is baptism and the Lord's table. And so let me quickly explain what will happen next week uh, for you when you show up at 930 or 11 o'clock. If you come at 930 next week, we will be for the entire hour, our worship hour, observing communion or the Lord's table. And that is one of the two what we call ordinances that Christ gave to his church to observe. We'll be doing both of those next week, Lord's table and the second one is baptism. So during the 9.30 hour, we will center our entire worship service around the Lord's table. And we'll do that not in this room, as we normally do, but in the auditorium, which is behind here. So you'll park the same place, come in the same door, and our ushers are going to do our best to show folks where to go and, and all of that, and it should go smoothly for us. But we'll have our worship time next week in the auditorium, and it'll be centered around the Lord's table. And then when we're finished with that, we will observe the second ordinance that Christ gave to his church, baptism. We do that in the pool area. We baptize folks in the pool. And uh, we do that because baptism, according to the Bible, is immersing someone in water as a symbol of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And it's saying that you are an individual who believes in that. You believe in the person of Christ and the work of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So baptism is something that is done by those who have come to Christ, coming to him because of what he achieved in his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's a public statement saying that you are someone who identifies with Christ and those events. So that will happen next week. Now, if you're somebody who has never been baptized uh, by immersion, which is what baptism is for the purpose I just gave, we would love to have you participate. You've got to see me today before you leave to see if you're a candidate for that. Or if you just have some questions about that. So as you shake my hand on the way out, let me know about it. But we'll have Lord's Table, Auditorium. Then after that, we will have the baptism in the pool area. And then we'll come back into this room for a celebration luncheon, full full meal uh, for, for celebrating those that are being baptized. And that's why we're not having worship in here because we're setting up for a meal in here, okay? So that's what's happening next week, and we encourage you all to stay for all of that, but it will be a little bit uh, different. Now, for the meal, those that are members of our church, we need you to help us with the meal as always, and there is a sign-up sheet on the information table with the categories of foods that we're having, and uh, if you can help us see that and affix your name to one or more of those categories, and do that today, if you would, because the meal is going to be next week. So on the back of your notebook, the first thing is baptism is next Sunday. And then one week from Saturday, November the 14th, is our next Newcomer's Brunch. You see that listed there. And that's from 10 a.m. to about noon. It's at our house. And it is for those who are new to our church, for us to get to know you and you to get to know us. And we would love to have you over to our house. If you've never been to one of our brunches, then please let me or my wife know today as you leave that you'd like to be put on the list. And uh, we would uh, be uh, thrilled about that. So that's on November the 14th, Saturday. There's one correction to what's on the back there. It's the ladies' event. And the ladies' event was scheduled for, I think, this Thursday, the 5th. And it's not going to be on the 5th. It's going to be on the 23rd. My wife is shaking her head. Yes. So, ladies, there is no ladies. That ladies' event is going to occur, but not this Thursday, but two weeks from this Thursday on November the 23rd. So please make note of that. 
All right, thanks for your indulgence with those announcements. We are in the series, the title of which is on the screen behind me, Relationships a Mess Worth Making. Today is session number five of 12, and in the first four, we have sought to answer one question each week. The first week, we sought to answer the question, what do I bring to the table in my relationships? All of us bring what I call baggage into every one of the relationships we have, good baggage and bad baggage. That baggage comes from three categories, three sources, our nature, our nurture, and our desires. So what do I bring to the table? In every relationship I have, I have my nature, who I am, what my dispositions are, what my personality is. I have my nurture, how I was brought up, what I had modeled in front of me by my parents, how conflict was resolved or not resolved, how we communicated or or didn't communicate, and all of that. It's what I saw and was taught and learned. Nature, nurture, and then the third thing is desires. I bring to the table my own desires, sometimes unidentified desires, sometimes unconscious desires. They are expectations, though, that I have developed about the way this relationship should go and, in particular, what you should provide to me in this relationship. These expectations, if not met, can become very dangerous, and they become the source of much conflict. And it is when they're not met that you see how much you really wanted them, desired them, expected them. And then what was unconsciously expected now becomes consciously demanded. And so we all bring those three uh, categories to the table. The first week, what do I bring to the table? Second week, what's the problem? That was the question. Because since we most of us think that by nature we're pretty good, uh, that our nurture and the way we were brought up, you know, it had some good and some bad, but we've navigated the waters fairly well. I turned out okay, we say. And so I bring my nature and my nurture. My desires, because I'm a good guy or good gal, are eminently reasonable. And so what I expect, what I desire, what I want out of this relationship should not be a problem for you, and it shouldn't be a problem for you to, to fulfill it and cooperate with it. So what's the problem? Well, the problem from our standpoint then, because of all that, is you. If there's a problem in this relationship, it's not me, it's you. But we began to see that God has a different perspective on that. And God says the problem is that these expectations, desires, even good expectations and desires for good things can become idolatrous to us. They can so grip our hearts that we make demands on them such that If they are not supplied, we're willing to sin in reaction to that. And so the problem is an inside job. Second week was, what is the problem? The third week, we asked the question, whose agenda is going to rule in this relationship? And it wasn't a question of my agenda versus the other person's agenda. If you were here that week, you know that the question was, is it going to be my agenda or God's agenda? Because God has a very different agenda than we do in our relationships. We come with these expectations. Most often, the truth is, we haven't consulted God's agenda. We brought our own agenda to the, to the table. And now it's a matter of whether God's agenda is going to rule or mine. And God's agenda, as we saw, is that he used this relationship as the laboratory in which he develops you and me into conformity to Jesus, that we become more like Jesus through the difficulties and the joys of relationship. Whose agenda is going to rule? Last week, we answered the question, 
not whose agenda is going to rule, but who am I going to worship in this relationship? Is this going to be ultimately about God then or ultimately about me? Am I going to try to make this person with whom I'm in relationship like God in his image or like me in my image? Am I going to be willing to give up trying to change this person into what I want him or her to be and rather, because I'm worshiping God in this, have them become what he wants them to be and all the while I'm becoming what he desires me to be as well? Today we're going to answer Now, a fifth question in Lesson 5. You see that Lesson 5 on page 50 is about relationships and communication, and here's the question. Will I be a thief in this relationship? You say, what does that have to do with communication? But I'll explain, but I am dead serious that that's the question for today's session on relationships and communication. And it is this, will I be, will you be a thief in the context of our relationships? Now, what does it have to have to do with it? Well, let me explain. There are two kinds of thieves. The one kind of common criminal thief is the guy who breaks in and takes something. Nobody invited him in. He broke his way in. He imposed himself on your property. He took it. He used it for his own ends. That's one kind of thief. But here's the other kind of thief, and this is the one that fits you and me uh, best. It's the kind of thief that doesn't break in, but rather one who is given something by another, but uses it for their own purposes. You're given something by someone else, but you use it not for their purposes, but for your purposes. Let me give you some examples. What if you have a a child who's going on a field trip at school and the field trip's supposed to cost $10. You make sure they have their $10. Uh, But something may come up, unexpected. And so you say, sweetie, you've got your $10. That should be enough. But here's, here's a debit card. If an emergency comes up, you only use this in the case of an emergency. You probably won't have to use it, but in case something comes up. Okay? Here it is. Okay. You get your uh, debit card bill, and it turns out that the definition of emergency has been stretched a bit. It was an emergency for me to buy an outfit while I was out there. It turns out to be an emergency for me to have paid for lunch for all of my friends on your debit card. Now, the truth of the matter is, your child has stolen your money. Your child has, has used what you gave for purposes other than you gave it. Or you work for a company that gives you a computer and a phone and a copier to be used for particular purposes, right? It's getting quiet. This gets very close to home. Because it's very easy to use that phone and that computer and that copier for my own purposes rather than the company's. And when I do that, I'm stealing the company's stuff. The company has a, a title for that. When they fire somebody, they fire them, in that instance, for, quote, misappropriation of company property. It means they stole. 
And you have been, and I have been, given a number of things by an owner, by someone else. Let me ask you, who gave you the ability, who gave humanity, forget you individually, us in general, who gave human beings the ability to talk? came from someone else. It's his gift to be used for his ends. Who gave us the, who gives us the oxygen to breathe the air, to speak the words that as we will see, he has intended that we use for his ends. There's an owner who has done that. Who gives us the time to do that? You know, I've got so many years on earth. I'm alive right now. I don't know how long that'll be. You don't know how long that'll be. But there's a time frame that we've each been allotted by someone else. And during that time frame, God has given us that time to be used for his purposes, not our own. And when we use it for other ends other than the owner intended, we are misappropriating the boss's property, the owner's property. We're stealing. And so the question with regard to our communication in our relationships really is, will I be a thief in this relationship? That brings us then to page 51. Page 51 makes mention of a passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. And if you have your Bible, you can juggle your notebook, you can turn there. If you don't, that's okay. You can just listen. 2 Corinthians 5. And if you have an, an NIV, NIV, New International Version like I do, right above verse 11... They have put a subheading there called the Ministry of Reconciliation. Some of you see that? It says Ministry of Reconciliation right before verse 11, okay? So beginning in verse 11 now and going all the way down to the end in verse 21, it's about that. It's about the Ministry of Reconciliation. And as you read that, it's about what God has done to reconcile, that is to mend what is broken in his world. And he has done that through Jesus Christ. And as a result of the work of Jesus Christ, mending what is broken, there is now a message to be spoken, a message of reconciliation. Because all people need to be mended in a number of ways that I'll talk about in a bit. And so Christ has done the work necessary to do this reconciling, this mending. And as a result of the work of Christ, he has given, God has, a message of reconciliation to those who are followers of Jesus, to give out to those who are in need of that mending, that reconciling. You come to verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. The reconciliation has occurred. The mending has occurred in the life of an individual. They are now a new creation. The old severed relationship is now gone. The new relationship with God is established. All of this, verse 18, is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And again, if you have the NIV, it has a colon now after the word reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, colon, meaning here's what the ministry of reconciliation is. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? Verse 19, that God 
was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reason that passage then is in our lesson on communication is because one of God's grand purposes for giving us time and oxygen and the ability to speak is so that we could be his instruments of the message of reconciliation in the lives of others. Now, I want to beat on that for a bit, okay? And so, here's what uh, verse, verse 18 tells us. Verse 18 says, It's all from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us this ministry, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. Thanks be to God. What is the reconciliation that has occurred? And why was there a reconciliation necessary? Let's just remind ourselves of that, okay? If you go back to the very beginning of your Bible, and we won't take the time to turn there. Most of you are familiar with it, but if you need to reread it, then please do so. But remember that God made the man and the woman, and he gave them lofty purposes for which he had placed them in his world. And he said, I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to, to multiply, and I want you to subdue the earth. And you're going to have the rule on my behalf over all of this. You're going to be my vice regent. You're going to be my king over creation on my behalf. That's why I put you here. To rule this place for my purposes the way that I want it done. And I have one test for you. Don't eat of this one tree in the midst of the garden. And it was that. It was a test. If they pass that test, they're, they're home free. If they pass that test, if they don't eat of that tree, there's another tree that they will eat of called the tree of life. And they'll be there forever. And their progeny will be there forever. And it'll all be good. So, when we finally make it to heaven, you all have heard me say, when other people say the first person I want to talk to is Moses, man, that must have been cool going through the Red Sea. The first person I want to talk to was Paul. What was it like going on those missionary journeys and all of that? The first guy I want to talk to, um, lay my hands on, would be Adam. Dude, what were you thinking? A few billion of us would like to have a word with you in the celestial parking lot. So Adam fails the, Adam fails the test. And as a result, a number of things happen in chapter 3 of Genesis. There are broken relationships. And those broken relationships fall into three categories. And I know some of you hate it when I do this, but it's vertical, and it's horizontal, and it's environmental, those three. Vertical means this, up and down. A broken relationship between man and God. Horizontal means side to side. Broken relationship between man and man. And environmental means that God's world, the creation, was broken as well. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 then, when it talks about reconciliation, what needed to be reconciled, what needed to be mended was people to God, people to people, and the world to its intended purpose. All three of those. And it's in Jesus Christ that all three of those happen. 
that people become reconciled to God. That people are reconciled to each other. And the world will eventually be reconciled to its intended purpose. The creation reconciled to its intended purpose. Genesis chapter 3, vertical severing of the relationship. Man who was made for relationship with God at the entrance of sin is hiding from God. Broken relationship. Banished from the garden. Every son of Adam and Eve and daughter of Adam and Eve that comes into the world comes into the world by nature with a broken relationship with God. Needing to be reconciled. Needing to be mended. That happens in Jesus Christ. How? Verse 19 God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And how is it that he does not count men's sins against them? Verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So how do I ever have a mended, reconciled relationship with God, the vertical up-and-down relationship that was broken? How? Through Jesus. Through what Jesus did in dying on the cross to pay the penalty that belongs to you and me for the sin that we have committed and has broken our relationship with God. He could do that because he knew no sin. He had no sin. He was perfect. So he could be my substitute and your substitute. He pays the penalty for our sin, but not only that, he lived an absolutely perfect life of righteousness for 33 years that he walked the dusty roads of Palestine. And he, like no other person before or since, perfectly fulfilled the requirements of righteousness, the standard of God, absolute perfection. So that when you now come to Jesus, with your broken relationship before God, your sins, past, present, get this, future, are all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty in full. And further, not only are your sins paid for in terms of their penalty, but you have positive standing before God. You have righteousness before God because the righteous life of Jesus is applied to you personally. So that God doesn't look at you in your sin. He looks at you through Jesus. Not counting men's sins against them. And that's why every time I read a phrase like that, I just have to say, thanks be to God. Friends, that's the gospel. That's the good News, that's what gospel means. It's the message of reconciliation, reconciling people to God. Now, before we move on and talk about reconciling people to people and him committing this message then to us and then the world to its original design, let me just stop and ask you, have you been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? Have you ever had a time where you have bowed before your maker and your savior and your Lord? And you have admitted, Lord, I have sinned against you in multiple ways that I could identify and so many more I can't identify. I came into this world in a broken relationship with you and I know the only way for that relationship to be restored, mended, reconciled is through Jesus. I believe that Jesus was perfect, 
Son of God. I believe he died for my sin. I believe he lived a perfect life of righteousness. And I need what Jesus did applied to me. I ask you, forgive me in Jesus. Mend my relationship with you. I give you my life. And I want to follow you. I want to go your way, not my way. That's what it means to be reconciled to God. That's how you do it. Have you done that? I have the great privilege of teaching series like this, but the best privilege I have is to have a few times during the series to say what I just said and to invite people to be reconciled to their God. And so I want to take just a few moments for us to bow right now and for you to have opportunity to pray from your heart to God. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and bowed your heart and your head before Him as your Lord to do so right now, okay? And those of you that have done that, let's just breathe a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the message of reconciliation that has had profound effects on us. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for the message of reconciliation. We thank you more than the message. We thank you for the work and the person of Jesus that's behind the message, that makes the message of the good news possible. Lord, I believe, I believe with all my heart Jesus is God having come as man. And he came to do what I couldn't do. I could not mend my relationship with you on my own. You require absolute perfection. You're a holy God and I'm unholy because of my sin. And so Jesus is the only solution. Thank you for coming. And thank you for doing that. Thank you for living a life for me. Dying a death for me. Thank you for making it available to me. Thank you for applying it to my life when I was 19, when I prayed to you to save me. I thank you for the difference that it's made in my life and in the lives of so many present here. Lord, I still struggle with my sin. But you have not only reconciled, you're reconciling. The power of sin has been broken in the life of those who come to Jesus. But the presence of sin is still there. We look forward, O God, to the time when the very presence of sin will be banished from your world. And we will, all of us who have come to Jesus, will be together reconciled to you, reconciled to each other, and your world reconciled to its purpose. Lord, I pray right now that there are people who are coming to you in faith, believing who Jesus is and what he did. Draw them to yourself. Reconcile them to yourself. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So there is the message of reconciliation, broken relationships between people and God, but then also between people and people. Because if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, not only were they hiding from God, but you remember what else happened. God speaks to them and he says, Adam, where are you? God knows where Adam is, right? He's just seeing what Adam is going to say about it. So Adam, where are you? And Adam says, well, I was naked, so I hid. And Adam lied, because if you read up just a few verses before that in chapter 3, Adam and his wife had sown leaves for themselves. They were not naked. But he felt naked before God. Now, he was stripped before God. He was ashamed before God. He had sinned against God. He says, I was naked. God says, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? God knows he ate of the tree. Did you eat of the tree? Adam, next two words out of his mouth are these, the woman. 
the woman. Not just any woman. He goes on. The woman you gave me. You gave me a defective woman. And so it's not my fault. It's the woman. And if it's not her fault, it's your fault because you made her. So don't look at me. So he, Adam, the husband, who was there to lead and protect and provide, starts blaming her, the woman. And then he says to the woman, well, what what happened? And the first two words out of her mouth are the serpent. It was somebody else. And you see the blame shifting that now goes on. And there becomes now a battle between people and people that you see in the very next chapter. The very first murder is committed in chapter 4 of Genesis. They have a couple of sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. You all remember that? As part of the punishment for this whole thing, here's what God says to the woman. He says, well, because you have listened to the serpent and you've done what I have told you not to do, your desire is now going to be for your husband, but he is going to rule over you. Verse 16, Genesis chapter 3. Your desire will be for your husband, but he is going to rule over you. You say, what kind of punishment is that? To desire your husband is a good thing. Except that it's not that kind of desire. It's not sexual desire. It's not romantic desire. It's a desire to rule. That's why the next phrase, your desire will be to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. How do I know this? Because Genesis chapter 4, where that first murder takes place, and verse 7 has exactly the same phrase. And God approaches Cain, and he says to Cain in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 4, Cain, why are you downcast? Why are you down in the way you're, you're looking? And he says to Cain, Cain, sin is crouching at the door and it desires to rule over you, but you must master it. Sin desires, desires, just like Eve is going to desire, desires to have you, to rule over you, but you're going to be ruled over by him. And so you have the beginning of the battle of the sexes, broken relationships between the man and the woman that need to be reconciled and can only be reconciled truly in Jesus Christ. People to people, broken relationships, a murder in chapter 4, and on goes the sad history, and we live it out every day, don't we? And then there's an environmental curse. God says, cursed is the ground because of you. It will now bring forth thistles and thorns, and the difficulty, intensity of your work will be magnified. Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament says that the creation, the created world now, this is a quote, now groans because of sin, waiting, it says, in anticipation for its release from bondage because of sin. You have an upheaval even in the environment. It was not made to have volcanoes and hurricanes and natural disasters, but it does because of sin. And all of that, is being and will be reconciled because of Jesus Christ. Everybody good on what reconciliation is? Man to God, people to people, and the creation to its original purpose. Now, let's look at your notes then. Beginning on page 52. God is working in every situation and every relationship to reclaim our wandering hearts. And he calls us to speak in a way that has this reconciliation in view. 
Unfortunately, we lose sight of reconciliation in a number of ways. When we flatter friends because we want them to like us. When we trim the truth to avoid a conflict. When we yell at our children about their messy rooms. When winning arguments is all we care about. When we indulge in gossip. When we're better at pointing out wrong than asking forgiveness. When we use words to hurt rather than to help. When our communication stays resolutely impersonal. When our words make us the center of attention. Here's the point. Our words are always in pursuit of some kind of kingdom. We're either speaking as many kings seeking to establish our will in our relationships and circumstances, or we are speaking as ambassadors, seeking to be part of what the king is doing. And the question that I have for you at the beginning is, will we be thieves then in our relationships, in the way and the purpose for which we use our words? Take a look at page 53 then. Here's God's perspective on our words being used for his purpose of reconciliation. Proverbs 18.21, our words have power. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. And so just think for a few moments about how words can kill. They can kill a spirit. They can kill a dream. They can kill an attitude or perspective. Killing words are angry, hurtful, slanderous, selfish, bitter, divisive, and demeaning forms of talk. All sorts of ways. Words can kill. Words can be misappropriated. Your words, my words. Jesus says this in Matthew 12, excuse me, Matthew 12, verse 20. Matthew 12, verse 34. Matthew 12, 34. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we speak with words that kill, it reveals something about our hearts. It's not just that it slipped out. It was, it's that it was inside to come out to begin with. So how can words kill? But how can words give life? They can give life to a spirit or a dream. They can give birth to an attitude or perspective. Life-giving words encourage, comfort, make peace, build up, unify, show love and gratitude. Words are powerful. Words are, hear this, words are sacred. They're sacred. The way you speak is intended by God to be a demonstration of your worship of God. And whether or not you're going to pursue His agenda with your words of reconciliation between people and people. What we tell our kids is like really important, isn't it? I've got two daughters. I tell my daughters all the time, you're beautiful. You are beautiful. I mean it. And I happen to be absolutely right about that. They are beautiful. No one could possibly argue with that. But it's important that I talk to them in uplifting ways like that as their father. If young ladies do not get that from their dads, they'll seek it in another man. My words matter to my wife, to my daughters. Their words matter to me. Your words are sacred in your relationships as well. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. Colossians 3.23. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. The word exasperate literally means do not take the wind out of their sails in how you talk to them. Our words, bottom of page 53, always have a direction. They can either be constructive or destructive. Words have power. Think about your communication in the last week. Then if you look at page 54, our words belong to the Lord. 
I said that they are the property of an owner. They cannot be misappropriated. They belong to the Lord, the Master. He's given us the ability. He's given us the oxygen. He's given us the time to speak them. They belong to the Lord, and they're to be used for His purpose. But the world of talk can be, indeed, a world of trouble. James chapter 3 and verse 2 says this, If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Now, he's saying this, that nobody's ever going to be perfect in our speech. But our words are an indicator of our spiritual maturity. Our words reveal, as well, our need for God's grace in this battle of using our words in the ministry of reconciliation. And word problems are, according to Jesus, heart problems. Luke 6.45 says what I said from Matthew 12.34. They both say this. They quote Jesus as saying, out of the overflow of the heart, the, uh, the mouth speaks. Our words come from our hearts then. And the real problem then is not the outside stimulus. It is the inside sin. I'll say that again. It is not the outside stimulus, the external stimulus. It is the internal sin. And what we tend to say is, I said that because you make me fill in the blank. You make me so angry. You tick me off. You know how to push my buttons. All that stuff. And Jesus says, it's... Exposing, revealing our hearts. Page 55. Have you ever said, I didn't mean to say that? Often it's more accurate, I'm sorry I said what I meant. (laughs) The real problem with our communication is what we want to say and why we want to say it. So what does it look like to talk like an ambassador in our last few minutes? To speak with a biblical agenda. Ephesians 4, 29 and 30 and we'll talk about that passage just a bit, and we'll be done. Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. Here's what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sometimes we read verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others. We read that, we forget verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Our words are sacred. The Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God, if you've come to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit and it grieves the Holy Spirit when our words are used in ways other than intended. Now, how are they intended? Here's how you speak with a biblical agenda, page 55. Consider the person. Speak only what is helpful for building others up. And as you consider the person, here's what you want to con- mainly what you want to consider. You want to consider that this is a person, a valuable person made in the image of God. And my ministry of reconciliation as an ambassador on God's behalf is to help this person who was made in the image of God become the image of God. They are to be restored to the image with which they were originally created. And I am part of that reconciliation process. So as you consider the person, consider this is a person made in the image of God who needs to be restored to the image of God. We are all in that process. Secondly, consider the problem. You speak according to their needs. Ambassadors, bottom of page 55, are always centered on others 
And so always must be asking, what is the problem at this particular moment? Before we speak, we must think about what others are struggling with and what others most need. Do they need encouragement, comfort, hope, and so on? And then lastly, consider the process. The process is that it may benefit those who listen. This means we focus on the best way to say what needs to be said. Now, friends, if you will buy what we've talked about today, that the issue of our communication and our relationships is really answering the question, will I be a thief in this relationship? The words belong to God. They're His gift to you to be used for His purpose. It will give you a radically, radically different agenda in the way you talk with those God has placed in your circle of influence. You need the grace of God. I need the grace of God in my relationships, especially difficult relationships, where you just want to shoot back. You just want to tell them what you really think. I need the grace of God to step back and say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. What I need to do is to not be overcome by evil, Romans 12, but to overcome evil with good, including good words. I need the grace of God for that. But the grace of God is available to you in this if you will adopt God's agenda for your relationships. Now, the truth of the matter is, we've got to finish. The truth is, there are relationships throughout this room that need a radical reorientation. And I don't say that because I know any specifics. I just know people. I know my own relationships. I've read the book. You're in the book. I'm in the book. The book tells us what our deal is, what our problem is, what we struggle with. There are relationships in this room that need to be radically reoriented. This is the day and the week to begin that radical reorientation. So we're going to bow and thank the Lord. And I want you, I encourage you, to commit to the Lord, to use your words according to His agenda and not yours. No longer stealing what He has given as His gift for His ends. And ask Him for the grace to accomplish it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and these dear folks. And thank you for these marvelous, marvelous passages from your word. Lord God, your word has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It is available to us to equip us, your word says, for every good work. We have what we need in your word. Thank you for telling us what we need, giving us the direction, diagnosing the problem, giving us the prescription for the solution in our relationships and the way we use our words. But Lord, our sin gets in the way. My own agenda gets in the way. I want to misappropriate what you have given for my own ends. Lord, I feel it. I do it. I need your grace. I ask you, Lord, to to move in the hearts of so many in this room right now that they're committing to you. Lord, by your grace, I'm going to speak differently today, tomorrow, and this week. And I want to speak on your behalf, and I want to be used as your ambassador of reconciliation. Help us to do that and help us, therefore, to show to the world, an onlooking world, a radically different agenda for life, a light that attracts people to the beauty of the Savior and the beauty of relationships that are founded on his purposes. Go with us this week. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.